Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Danny Gobi Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back at the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 53, a headliner in the Bantamweight division between Rob Font and Marlon Vera. We'll of course be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that will make your wallet fat this weekend. And in addition to that, we're giving you guys a couple of fighter interviews, but we're getting a little bit away from the UFC this week. That's right. I'm bringing you two fighter interviews from the PFL. First, I'll be talking to Chris Wade, who looks to get his revenge for the failed championship attempt from last year. He is talking about how he dealt with that, as well as his first fight against Lance Palmer. And then I'll be talking to Boston Salmon about his upcoming fight with Shaman Marias, all at PFL 2. And we'll get to that great content for you in just a moment. But before we do, I do have to mention that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, I will give you our bonus pick for the upcoming UFC event, but you can only get that bonus pick on our Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Chris Wade, who fights Lance Palmer at PFL2. That fight is on April 28th. So, Chris, before we get started talking about this season and that upcoming fight, I, I do want to mention last season, and I want to talk about last season. It's obviously not the way that you want to end uh, what was pretty successful season. You come up one fight short of the million dollars. H- how do you look back at that year as a whole? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, I... I... I look back at it with mixed emotion as a whole because I'm proud that I was able to face adversity to go down a weight class later in my career, which is um, more rare for a guy to, or a girl to do um, than it is to go up later in your career. And to not just make that move, but to make that move and have, um, have the success that I did with the extra weight cutting. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of moments. I'm proud of, uh, you know, my knockout and I'm proud of the way I dominated my fight with Bubba Jenkins. But, um, at the end of the day, I set goals for myself. Uh, I set goals for what I want to achieve for my family and my legacy as a fighter. And, uh, I fell short of that in losing that decision to move lead in the final. So, I um, I picked myself up, you know, by the bootstraps. And once I got healthy, you know, six weeks after the fight or so, and I've just been on a on mission, um, I've gotten myself healthier. I've gotten myself um, better in every aspect I could try to think of as a fighter. So um, 
I, I, I look back on it with, with some fondness, but, but also with disappointment at the same time. And, uh, it's that, that disappointment right now, it's fueling me for this season. Well, that is certainly an interesting situation and obviously a very hard one to, to grapple with. But I want to ask you, so you said you got back into the gym like six weeks after. PFL just like naturally has built into it kind of a longer off season, right? Like you fight a lot of times in a short period of time. And now you've been off for, you know, four or five months at this point. So what is it like having all of that time off, especially when, you know, you've got that driving force getting you back into the gym with something that you really are pushing for? Yeah, um, I'm not gonna lie to you. When you when you um I thought I had faced some salty defeats before I lost the split decision in the semis to Schultz in the first season and like that one was that was pretty salty, but that was um the season ended a little later those those years. So there was a little less time, only a few months to sit on that before I got into it. This one was brutal because Everything in you as a competitor wants you to get back in there and right that wrong. You want to go beat somebody up and like just make it right again and feel good and get back on winning ways. And you you have to um, you have to calm yourself and and your mind and just trust that it's the time that you need to be better. So I feel like um, as a blessing, it's gotten me healthy. I feel I feel so much better than I did going into last season for for a few different reasons uh we're not in quarantine this year so it's just um it's shaping up early on like i'm just feeling the motivation right now i'm feeling feeling healthier so i'm 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 trying to be thankful for the time rather than salty about it i like that mentality now you know you you mentioned in there too that like you felt better at 145, you know, it was a bold move to go down in the first place and you did it and looked damn good doing it. How much of the choice to do 145 pounds again was the success and how much of it was that you feel like you, you kind of have unfinished business here and you, you want to go right that wrong? Oh, I'm yeah, I think it was the success, honestly, because, um, had I not been successful there or had I felt like I just couldn't function, then I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't stay there. It wouldn't be an option. But because I did experience that success and because I did feel so good that the next day I was uh, competing, that that's what led me to say, you know what, I think that for the most part, for the rest of my career, I think I might be a 45er because this is something that uh, – other organizations have talked to me about after my first fight, the UFC approached me about it. Um, my teammate, my coaches have asked me in the beginning of my career, what, if I thought I could make it. And I just always had this, uh, you know, this illusion, I guess at this point, right. That I couldn't make it, that I was too big, that I'd be, that I would kill myself, you know, trying to make it. And, um, I always felt just a touch, undersized at 55 like my weight would come off early and i would be lighter than other dudes other dudes were walking around at like 90 95 fighting 55 and i was walking around like in the high 70s and telling them like yeah wow that's crazy you cut a lot of weight man but um it's just a fight game so taking that extra 10 off i feel to feel much more dominant in the cage I, i feel like i'm one of the biggest 45ers on the planet 
Yeah, and it certainly looked like it paid off in the cage, too. Now, I wanted to ask you, before we get into talking about this upcoming fight with Lance Palmer, I want to ask you about the PFL structure in general, because you mentioned the long layoff, and that's obviously uh, a tough part of the end of the season. But in the season, it's a lot of fights in a really short period of time. I've heard some fighters say that they love it. Some fighters say that they hate it, but it's a necessary evil. Where, where do you sort of fall on the, their structure, how often you fight, and whether or not that's a sustainable thing for you long term? Uh, well, I feel that I have proven that it, it's it's a, it's a system that works great for me. I'm a guy that is durable. I consider myself to be durable. If you look at my, my track record and on um, how many times I'm there when I say I'm going to be there, that uh, and how I can make the weight and I could do it in short consistently, I think that I'm kind of like the pro's pro in regard to handling that business, getting ready to fight again. Every fight last year, uh, we would fight on a Thursday. I would come home that night. And I would be back in the gym by like Monday, you know, in the morning and training again. For me, that's where I feel like I can get the edge in this type of a tournament. Some guys want to fight six months apart and take their time. I like to get after it. Once I'm in shape, I want to stay in shape, keep the ball rolling instead of like falling a little out of it and then having to get back into it again and not know. Like in other promotions, you're just training really hard, hoping that they're going to call you. You know, like, I feel like I'm going to get a matchup soon. And you're asking your manager, like, can you call them with the PFL? It's like, no, I know I'm fighting here. I'm fighting six weeks later. We're going to get this done. Then we're going to fight another eight weeks after that. I, I like it. I'm, I'm really a fan of it outside. Just beyond just being the competitor, I like the action and how it keeps going. I like um, any major sport format because those are successful in America. They're proven. Absolutely. And the first fight of that fight season is Lance Palmer. So let's talk a little bit about that fight. You're fighting a guy to kick off your, your fourth season here in the PFL. Uh, you're, you're kicking it off against a guy who has won a PFL season before in Lance Palmer. What, what was it like getting that name and being a high-profile fight for your first one for 2022? I think it was a great thing for me because, um, you know, last year I got a guy that I didn't know who he was. And uh, if you look at, again, my track record, um, I tend to uh, to do better when, uh, when the, the moments like uh, when I know that I have uh, a task in front of me as opposed to maybe assuming – like, oh, I'm the favorite here, and I should kill this guy. And it, it, that those types of fights are super dangerous. Any fighter will tell you because these guys are so tough, and you don't really know a ton about them. They're not all over the map. You don't know their ins and outs. Whereas with Lance, I've been in the PFL with him since we started. I, I'm very, very familiar with him. And I uh, just um, the matchup excel, itself just excites me. You know, it... Uh, it gets you going because he, he's dangerous and um, and he's that good. And um, it's, it's a nice way to, to rev it up and start it off. Well, and you mentioned he's dangerous, too. That was actually my next question. He, he's kind of one of those classic alpha male guys who's got, 
you know, really solid boxing, really solid on the inside, but also a really dangerous wrestling and submission game. So how do you think that you play against that particular style? And maybe why is it exciting to you that you're fighting somebody who's that dangerous style? Yeah, I I mean, it's exciting because he he won it twice and uh, he he carries a a respect and a name in the the division and in the league. And um, it's also because he was a four-time All-American in in, uh, D1 college wrestling. And uh, I grew up wrestling. So um, it has that Bubba Jenkins feel to it, like the fight I had with him last year. Bubba is an NCAA champ. And... um, you know, I wasn't getting really too much credit on being able to compete with him on the ground. And I showed that, uh, you know, just because I didn't go to one of those big D1 schools doesn't mean that I'm not every bit as um, good in, in those situations. So this is, uh, to me, he's dangerous because he's uh, he's super athletic. He has power and uh, he can... He could wrestle all day long and and do it well. So those types of guys, um, they bring the best out in you. Because if you if you're not ready for a fight like that, they'll grind you into nothing. And um, I've been training my ass off to make sure that he cannot, you know, wrestle me into the ground where I'm exhausted. I I just I never want to experience, uh, you know, being held again where where i feel like i can't get up and do what i want to do so i'm on a mission for a fight like this right now to prove that uh i'm here to dominate this year well we're looking forward to it now before i let any of my fighters go i always like to ask him for a prediction so how do you see this one ending when you face lance palmer on april 28th i mean i think that you're gonna see uh you know, if the math of it makes sense to you, uh, styles do make fights, but my style is, uh, I think, more fluent in stand-up than, than the matchup was when he fought Bubba. And I think that um, my my counter-wrestling and grappling is a big problem for him. So I think that he's a really tough, tough dude, and I think you're going to see me, you know, win... Um, all three rounds be on top and when i'm on top i'm gonna be looking to finish the fight you know um every chance i get a little bit of space or he gives me his neck or i mean we're going for it i'm not saying uh you know he can't defend some things but i am going to be putting it out there to try to get him out of there i can promise you that well we are absolutely looking forward to it once again fans this was chris wade who fights lance palmer at pfl2 that fight on april 28th chris thank you so much for the time i really appreciate it Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Wade. I, once again, am Dan Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, last weekend, UFC Vegas 52. It was headlined by Amanda Lemos versus Jessica Andrade, but I want to talk about the co-main event. Claudio Puelish not only beats Clay Guida, but he picks up his third knee bar in the UFC by beating a legend just how impressed are you with a dude with three freaking knee bars in the UFC? I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm so freaking impressed. And it's impressive on multiple levels. First of all, to get three knee bars, obviously it's a specialty of his. And you would think his opponents would be looking for that at this point. This was against Clay Guida, who's notoriously tough to put away. 
notoriously tough to knock out, even harder to submit. I mean, we've all, I think if you're listening to the show and you're an MMA nerd, you know Clay Guida is no walk in the park. And to get a knee bar on him is very impressive. But then you start looking into my man CP's background. He does not have a crazy jiu-jitsu pedigree. This is not a man who's going to be at ADCC trials this year. This is not a man who ever competed at Nogi Worlds. So to come from Peru, finally get to the States, get you know, probably a higher level of training, and just decide, you know what, the knee bar is going to be my thing, and I'm going to hit it three times against the best competition in the world, at least in an MMA, from an MMA regard, it's still very impressive. I just, I can't get over it. Yeah, I can't get it over it either. And, and actually, as we were talking, I pulled up his, uh, I, I pulled up his Wikipedia page too, because, you know, the, the fact that he doesn't have like a crazy jits background is insane. I'm about to blow your mind. This dude started training martial arts in Muay Thai at 13. Like, he didn't even start with jiu-jitsu. And he didn't even start until he was an adolescent. So, like, it, I mean, it gets more and more insane that this dude is out here at 26 years old putting people like Clay Guido away. I, I mean, I, I I am more and more impressed with him literally every time out. Well, I'll tell you what everyone's going to be real impressed with, and that's uh, our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, parlays. We get to break down a couple of fights, give you a couple of live dogs, and a parlay to play. But before we get into it, Gumby... One may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sabo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Boom. Well, it's a good main event, Gumby. We got a 135 banger. Rob Font is a minus 140 favorite. And Marlon Vera, the former title challenger, a plus 20 dog. Font ran into the a man. You may know him. His name is Jose Aldo. He lost. After putting together a really nice win streak, four fights in a row, he lost Jose Aldo and now faces Marlon Vera who's on a two-fight win streak with a win over Frankie Edgar as he's aging out his career. Vera trying to get back into title contention. Obviously, this matchup is huge for both of them. Who you got? I'm going to go with Rob Font here. And don't get me wrong, I, I've kind of sold Marlon Vera a little bit short over his career. You know, like I, I think I picked Frankie Edgar to beat him if we want to go back to that. And I, I'm continuing to sell him short here, too. But the deal is, is that with Rob Font went five hard rounds with Jose Aldo. Before that, he went five hard rounds with Cody Garbrandt. He starts Marlon Marias in no time. He's shown he has the wrestling defense to deal with a guy like Ricky Simon, um, you know, beat Bellator champ, Sergio Pettis. The guy has such a good, well-rounded game. I think we often forget how he's got that wrestling in his back pocket. And not that Marlon Vera doesn't have that too, but I, I just feel like Font's going to be a step ahead of him in the striking and I don't think that Marlon Vera has the backup plan where he can go to the wrestling. He can go to the jiu-jitsu. I think Font outclasses him there. And meanwhile, I think if Font is having a hard time on the feet, which is possible, it's possible that I'm, I'm misrepresenting what Vera can do here and he is going to, to, to sort of press him up there. I think Font has the fallback of wrestling and sitting in his guard and, and throwing some ground and pound. So 
I like fought just by having more ways to win, but but I really do think that this fight is really well lined. Like I, I think negative 140 is right about what I would put Rob Font's chances at, and I, I think I'm just going to ride with the favorite here. I think they're both well-rounded. I think Marlon Vera has submissions. I think Font has the better wrestling. I think Font hits harder. I think you're right. He's the better striker overall. I take Font as well, but it's close odds. You know, I, I can't fault a man who wants uh, Vera, but you're not really getting great odds on him at the dog. And I do think Font is going to win just in a largely stand-up battle. But you never know. Could Marlon Vera snatch a guillotine or something? Eh, maybe. But I don't see it. I think Jose Aldo was a bump in the road for Font, and he's going to keep on cruising. Let's talk about a man who's put a lot of miles on the body, and I'm talking about Andre Arlovsky, a minus 140 favorite to Jake Collier, a plus 120 dog. Again, very tight odds. Collier 2-1 and one in his last three. Andre Arlovsky at age 87. <laughs> been fighting UFC since before there was a UFC is on a three-fight win streak. Who you got? I- I'm going to go with Arlovsky. Dude, I, I mean, like, here's the thing, and I'm not just picking him because he is, if not my favorite fighter of all time, damn close. I'm not only picking him for that reason, but I'm picking him for the types of fights he keeps winning now, right? The thing about Andre Arlovsky in this day and age is he's not going to go in there and beat a Curtis Blades who can wrestle him. He's not going to be a Tom Aspinall. He's not going to be some big, heavy wrestler type, big, heavy power puncher. The types of guys he is going to be are guys he can pick apart and stay away from the big shot. And the thing about Jake Collier is, Jake Collier is a big man. Jake Collier is a real big man. And he doesn't move super fast. Now, he, he moves fast considering how big he is, but he doesn't move fast like Arlovsky. I don't think he has the footwork Arlovsky's got. Even in Arlovsky's old age, he does an excellent job of moving in and out, making sure he doesn't get hit. And I think that that's the perfect style here to beat Jake Collier and move an Andre Arlovsky winning streak in 2022 to freaking four fights, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I also am picking Arlovsky, but I'm almost just from a statistical perspective. What are the odds that Andre Arlovsky at age 92 can reel off four wins in a row in the UFC? That seems low. So I almost just want to not pick Arlovsky because I can't believe we might be sitting here next week saying, can you believe it? Arlovsky's on a four-fight win streak. But – I do think in this matchup, head-to-head, I do like him more. All right, two guys who need a win. And again, tight odds. Grant Dawson, a minus-145 favorite, so the strongest favorite we've talked about today. Uh, And Jared Gordon, a plus-125 dog. Tight fight here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Jared Gordon. I'm actually going to take my dog here, and for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, he showed in his last fight he can beat a guy who wants to grapple him up, right? And that's Grant Dawson's game. Grant Dawson wants to grapple you. Grant Dawson wants to take you down. And if you look at Jared Gordon's recent record, dude, all he's done is beat guys who want to do that to him, right? He beat Chris Fishgold. He beat Joe Selecki. And, man, Joe Selecki's no slouch. You know, we, we talked earlier about guys at ADCC trials. Joe Selecki's a guy who shows up at those every single year. So, we got Gordon out here beating guys like that, and not for anything, Grant Dawson is coming off of a very weird draw where he got outclassed at the end of a fight by Ricky Glenn, a guy who's seen mostly as a striker, and he kind of put the screws to Dawson with like a little bit of wrestling too, Um, and that for me is a huge concern. I really worry about that. Also, you know, just in general, I, I think Dawson was a little bit of like a bully down at 145 pounds, 
now he's back up at 55. I think he can't quite be the bully he once was. And I think that's going to be a huge issue against a guy like Jared Gordon. So I'm taking the plus odds here. All right. Well, that leads right into our next pick, which is our official dog of the week. So a couple of dogs here you can play, but our official dog of the week at better odds even if you like dogs. A plus 150 is the jiu-jitsu ace and friend of the show, Gerald Mearshart. Yeah, I, I love Gerald Mearshart first and foremost, mostly because uh, I'm pretty sure I picked him as our dog of the week back when he beat Mahmoud Muradov at like plus 450. Um, the guy has been absolutely insane with his grappling. And don't get me wrong, Christoph Jocko could outstrike him here. I just, Christoph Jocko is not a guy who puts people away. Right, like he, He's a guy who likes a technical stand-up matchup, occasionally mixes in his wrestling, and is looking to win by three-round decision just about every time out. I just don't think you do that with Gerald Mearshart. You have to put him away with big, heavy shots and outbox him because he showed in that Mahmoud Muradov fight, if you don't knock him out with some big, clobbering striking, he's going to choke you out at some point in time. It's what he freaking does. So, yeah, I love his opportunity to do that here again. Our parlay to play, Gabrielle Green, a minus 150 favorite. Rob Font, a minus 140 favorite. Two favorites pair of parlay, it gets you plus 185 odds. Let's hear it. Yeah, so we already talked a little bit about why I love Rob Font, right? Like, I, I think he's just got more ways to win than somebody like Marlon Vera. I, I think that line comes in at a place where I really like it. Like I said before, I think it's lined properly. But, but you know, you're getting a guy in a favorite who I think has more ways to win, is a better fighter, just barely over the even odds. So we're going to juice those up a little bit by taking Gabriel Green at negative 150. I've been wildly impressed with Green. If you go all the way back to his time where he fought Daniel Rodriguez on short notice in his UFC debut, and man, didn't he look pretty damn good in that fight? He bounces back with a really nice win over Philip Rowe. I think the guy's got great leg kicks. He's super, super athletic. He's going to be in there with a guy in Lionese who I think is mostly just a uh, power puncher. I'm not really worried about too much else he's going to bring to Green. And with Green being as tough as he is, I think he survives that power punching pretty easily. So I like pairing them together, and I like 185 odds. Boom. Well, we hope you like this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know on our Twitter if, you did you, if we did you right or did you dirty. Uh, you can also let us know on our Instagram. It's the same handle, at Top Turtle MMA, Twitter and IG. Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Choo-choo. Where do we go next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Boston Salmon, who also, much like Chris Wade, is fighting at PFL2 this upcoming Thursday. So make sure you catch that fight. And you can catch that interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Boston Salmon, who fights Shaman Marias at PFL2. That fight is on April 28th. So, Boston, obviously you got back into the cage this past month after a year and a half layoff. You know, uh, the, the brutal, illegal knee kept you out of commission. Then you had fights canceled due to, you know, coronavirus and opponents pulling out and all that kind of stuff. How good did it feel to finally be back in the cage after all that time? It felt great. It felt great being myself and finally got my, my natural weight. So we picked up the win and I couldn't be more thankful to be here on the stage of PSL and the tournament. And you mentioned, you know, being back at your weight, which I'm sure, you know, certainly helped you feel 100% yourself and to look as good as you possibly can. But 
I did want to ask, like, were there any lingering effects from that illegal knee? I mean, that that highlight made the rounds all over the Internet and people were worried about, you know, like what your future would look like after that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, my part of my, my mouth is still numb, you know, so if there's any damage that I've taken and sustained from that injury, you know, it still kind of lingers to this day. But I feel healthy. My body's, my body's feeling great. Um, my brain's clean. You know, it's clear. No, no, no trauma there. And I did all the, I did all the precautions that I need to do after the injury to, to see if I could still, you know, stick with the sport. And I'm here healthy. Well, that's absolutely excellent to hear. It's good to hear that you're taking the precautions and that it all came back clear. Was it tough during that time to to wonder, like, you know, is this going to be able to be part of my future? And then obviously, you know, seeing the cancellations for other reasons too. Was was it a tough layoff for you? Absolutely, Dan. Um, this is what I do. I, I love fighting. I've been doing this for a kid, you know. The vision has always been to be world champion, and I never really got there yet, you know. And um, taking those two losses in the UFC was brutal for me, man. It was a nightmare. And then uh, I get released, you know, um, from coming from becoming one of the biggest prospects from RFA to you know winning the first um, contract on Dana White contender series to losing my first two fights in the UFC. Um, and then get released, you know, and then uh, have the opportunity to fight for, I'm sorry, COVID happens, you know. Um, we're going to make our debut at 45. We're up fighting at a catch rate at 150. And this is the first car that LFA puts on through COVID. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm winning the fight. And then I take a, a, a brutal knee in the second round. And uh, I've been out since, you know, and then took the fight, which or had the opportunity to fight for a PFL Challenger Series, took that at 145. And I felt great. I felt like myself. Well, we're, we're going to talk about that upcoming fight, too, uh, against Shaman Marias. But before we do, you know, you mentioned Contender Series on there. You were the first guy to win a contract on Contender Series. And I feel like that, that win has aged really well. You know, like it's a win over Ricky Tercios, a guy who's now an Ultimate Fighter champion. What, what was it like seeing the, a guy who you pretty much manhandled for three whole rounds there go out and take you know, go out and take the ultimate fighter and become like this hot prospect. Is it validating for you? Is it frustrating for you? Uh, not, necess- not necessarily frustrating for me. I can't look back in my review, right? I got the forward. Um, Ricky Tercios is a tough fighter. I knew he was going to go on into great things in the sport. Um, and he's now right um, on the ultimate fighter. He's on the, he's signed with the UFC and, it just showed that 135 was his natural weight for me. I don't think people really highlighted that 35 was never my natural weight, even when I when I came up, right? Everyone was like, oh, look at all these crazy knockouts and highlights that, that Boston's making at 135. Not knowing that, you know, the severe cuts, and I just, just it was never me, you know? Even all of my performances at 35, whether it was a you know, unanimous decision or a knockout, I just, I never felt great. I never felt like I had an optimal performance in, in, in my vehicle, in me, you know, so... I'm happy at 145. I started my career at 145. You know, I'm I fought at boxing at 152. I made my debut at 145. So it's great to be back at 145. I'm fighting at natural weight. Well, that's great to hear. Now, you, you said the, the severe weight cut always had you feeling like you weren't quite yourself. And, you know, you, you got to go back to featherweight just this past month and, and picked up a, a nice stoppage victory. What what feels the most different from you when you get to go up weight? Is it energy? Is it power? What 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 is the thing that feels the best for Boston Salmon at 145? Energy, power, and stress. Um, that's no longer an issue, right? Um, 
the Challenger Series the week of my fight, me and Kai Kumaka were at Disney World the week of my fight, right? If I were to fight at 135, that, little things like that would never be able to happen just because of my weight cut, right? I'd be, I'd be stressed out. I'd be, you know, I'd be depleted and I wouldn't be able to do things like that. It just kind of showed you the difference from 45 to 35. 35, I had a way more strict regimen and there's a lot of things that my body was, were limited to do, right? And at 45, man, I can kind of just do myself. Um, the whole fight camp, I don't have to stress about me eating, you know, certain foods or, or switching over to a vegan diet, right? I can have the, the rich proteins that I need. I can eat meat and uh, I can just have a, a free mind, a clear mind going into my camp and my fight. So if you can take that away from your camps, you know, it's kind of a lot for your, your camps. And I feel like it's a lot of success to, you know, to endure into your fights and get that victory. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, let's talk about how this camp is building, and it's building towards a fight with Shaman Marias, a guy who's kind of known for his his sort of quickness and his striking. How do you feel like you and the new 145 Boston Salmon matches up with that style of striker? I can't say he's quick. Um, if there's anything that stands out in this in this fight, is my speed. There's a there's a big um, variance in speed between mine and uh, Shaman Marias. He had power, yes. Um, he's been around, he, you know, he fought some good guys and he's a veteran and uh, I respect that and I, I know it's ahead. But um, I'm just, I'm, I'm a different fighter at 45, man. People, like I said, people saw the, the highlights that I brought at 35, you know, and I'm here, resurrected at 145 and I'm here to show everyone next Thursday against Jamon Marais for PSL. Well, before I let you go, I always do like to ask for a prediction. Uh, how do you see this one ending with Jamon Marais on April 28th? If you follow the tournament, right, six points, six points means first round knockout. You watch all my fights, I bring it, you know. So I can go out there and, and, and knock Shaman Marais in the first round. I'm going to try my best, and that's what I bring to the table, you know. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Boston Salmon, who fights Shaman Marais at PFL2, that fight on April 28th. Boston, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Maroon Social. And speaking of socials, you can check us out on the socials, both Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.